This is the Everyman Podcast. This is episode 85. Today we are going to talk about nature and our connection to it as human beings. Anybody ever read uh, Roald Dahl's The BFG ever uh, or see the movie? Uh, they call them human beings. That was one of my favorite books when I was a kid. Anyway, today we get to talk about really my favorite thing or one of my sort of three to five favorite things in the entire world. And I'm going to start it by just sharing a little snapshot from what's true for me. It's all going to be about nature. It's going to be our connection to the earth, our connection to the wilderness, and how that affects us as human beings. And I've shared before on the podcast that in my early 20s, I got to spend a, a fair chunk of time, you know, several years kind of in a row spending about half my time out in wilderness settings as a wilderness therapy guide. And what I keep catching myself saying lately is that without really knowing it, without really even understand what was, understanding what was going on, without any formal recognition necessarily, I feel like I, I was very wildly fortunate to experience something akin to a deep meditative state for literally years, right? For like long chunks of time, weeks on end. Uh, and I knew how impactful it was. I used to tell people, I don't need a therapist. I have a sleeping bag. And I kind of joked about it. And then later on, I'm like, wow, it's kind of, kind of something to that. And, uh, I've needed plenty of therapists since. So it's, it's not like it, uh, took care of things, but anyway, there is something unequivocal, like inarguable, scientifically validated, all of that about connecting with the nature. And I am now, uh, another thing I've said over and over in my life is one day I would love to live outside, like actually, or mostly, you know, I'd love to have a home that involves outdoor living. So maybe an outdoor kitchen, outdoor seating, outdoor shower, out, outdoor, just outdoor living, right? And I'm there. And I just got a report back <laughs> from uh, the world of, of outdoor living that it is the greatest thing that I've ever experienced. And it's cool. It's kind of a full circle loop for me of, you know, some sort of wild ways of living in my 20s that uh, made me very happy. And then, you know, after spending a lot of my life in New York City and in abroad and all over the place doing all kinds of stuff, some outdoor oriented and some not, I find myself back here and it feels incredible. And before I kind of drop into the rest of what we're going to say, the other thing that really strikes me about nature in the wilderness and spending time in it. And you're going to hear all kinds of amazing stuff about this from our guest today, Tim Corcoran. But uh, from my mouth, what I'm really thinking about and feeling is that there is this, there's this potential, there's this great potential to find something of great value by going out in the middle of nowhere. And it's surprising and it's interesting what that looks like. You know, for me, I went out in the woods when I was you know, in my 20s. I went out in the mountains I found myself, but I found myself through human connection. I feel like that was the great thing that I brought back. I found, you know, this, this, not only my connection, but my calling to what I wanted to do with my life through human connection. I like went out in the woods and I found people of all things, of all places to find them. I found a direct, clear, deep, meaningful connection to people. Uh, another part of my career was going on the woods on the production of the TV show Meat Eater and that was a, a kind of another interesting version of that. And it's going out into the woods, into the wilderness to find a true and, and meaningful relationship with food. In the longstanding picture of, of humanity, going out in the woods to find food makes sense. 
in our modern day, it doesn't quite make as much sense, but to find that clear connection, that clear relationship, it makes all the sense in the world. I think at this point, going out into the wilderness, again, maybe counter-rationally, is a great place to find anything. And that's a very proud and grateful and just happy to, to offer our wilderness expeditions at Everyman literally for that purpose, right? Uh, we have three, two, two spots, I think, left on our June expedition Yellowstone National Park. If you're going to go out in the wilderness to find something, maybe to find yourself, to find friendship, to find uh, your values, to find your direction, to find who, who you are, how people take you in, what you want, where you're going, Yellowstone National Park is, a, I'm just going to say, it, a fucking awesome place to do it. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It is so wild and real. When you So, you know, there's the Yellowstone National Park people talk about and you see, you know, memes and pictures of people chasing down buffalo from the road. Here's the thing. That park is very full of people on that road system, but you get off the road system, you get back into those mountains, and it is as wild as it gets, and it's really, really incredible. So this trip is going to be an eight-day total trip. It's a five-day backpacking trip in the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park. I'm going to be there on the front end of the trip. Aaron Blaine and Sam Mascari are going to be leading the entire thing. There's a good chance my dad's going to be there cooking pizza uh, on the front end of the trip, which I would fly to Montana just for that experience. Anyway, there's a couple tickets left. Everyman.com. You can find those on the Wilderness Expedition. And it's it's a, you know, it's a big deal. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime trip, you would think. But there's guys now coming back for their third or fourth go already. Anyway, if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're worried maybe you're not in good enough shape or you've not been in the woods before, you don't have to be in amazing shape and you don't have to have been in the woods before. So send us a note, info at everyman.com or just look on the website and you'll find a way to contact us and you can ask questions. If you really want to come but you just aren't sure, then reach out. We then have another one in Glacier National Park in August. I'd love to see you there as well. And, you know, now I get to introduce this badass guest this week. His name is Tim Corcoran. On one of my, in, I did used to do this thing. I'd like live in New York City and then I'd move to Montana. And then I'd live in New York City and then move to Montana. It was just sort of like this migration that happened. Um, and Tim Corcoran was a member of the Sandpoint Men's Group when I moved out there. And I'm, it's that was Owen Marcus's men's group, the the sort of uh, big sea change moment for me was meeting him and and collaborating with him. And Tim was kind of an older brother figure for me for a while in that group. And I didn't get to know him all that well. You know, I sat in the group for about six months and, and, and knew him from that perspective. What I did know about him was that he had a couple little boys and that he ran a wilderness school. And that uh, lit me up. That was interesting. And I, I kind of had a, a curiosity about him from the beginning. We've recently come into contact again and sort of reconnected. And there's been a really sort of big, uh, fun conversation going back and forth because both of us have two boys. We've both dedicated a good chunk of our life to understanding nature and understanding humans and our relationship amongst all that. One of the cool things, stats, you'll hear about Tim in this, which kind of ups his cred or solidifies his cred immediately, which is really remarkable, actually, is he has he has done dozens of vision quests, which is going out into the wilderness 
uh, fasting for several days at a time uh, with just an intention to learn more about yourself and learn, you know, learn and experience and deepen. It's remarkable for anybody to spend that much time out in the woods alone doing that. And it's just he's he's been on the Aubrey Marcus podcast. He's uh, he's got a couple companies. He has the Twin Eagles Wilderness School, and then he has his his uh, more recent project, which is called Purpose Mountain. And I'm super pumped up about this. And so what what he's doing is he is working with individuals to use nature to basically use the proxy of nature to help people find their purpose and who they really are. And there's a couple tidbits in here that have just rocked my world. And the one, the other, only other thing I'll say, the only other highlight is this idea of purpose and where, what it actually is. And is it an external thing? Is it just what you're doing in the world? Is it something bigger than that? And so uh, I won't say too much, but there's this idea that purpose may be an ecological function. Um, and maybe that means something to you. Maybe not. It blew my mind. We'll talk about it. We'll get into it in a deeper way. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who's listening. Please come join us in the woods. Come join us anywhere else. Uh, join this expanding circle of men who are looking at the world with a very, very like deep, heartfelt, critical lens and working to change themselves and the world for the better. It's just a good thing. It's a good time. Please enjoy the show. All right, I'm here with Tim Corcoran, and uh, I want to. I'm going to start with a just a quick story here, mm-hmm. and that is, I was this lost sort of cra- half crazed uh, late twenty something, living in New York City, had just gone through a wild year of uh, basically my entire life blowing up, and I <laughs> I landed in a little cabin. Uh, right on the border of Montana and Idaho. And, and I, and I first lived in a barn and I slept, I was in rough shape. I slept 16 hours a night for about a month. I drove into a little town called Sandpoint, which was pretty sweet and went to a coffee shop. And on the board was an advertisement, a flyer for a local men's group. And I called the number on the flyer and I ended up going to a meeting and that's where I met Owen Marcus. And in some ways it's where, you know, kind of the inception of every man might've begun. And I, I can remember Tim, like that first meeting, I, I remember you very clearly. I remember looking a lot, looking across the room and seeing you and, um, what a cool opportunity right now to reconnect. It's been a long time. Uh, and we have some serious things to talk about serious in the sense of, uh, I kind of can't wait to just geek out with you about nature and your work yes. with men and the idea of purpose and all of this stuff that I, I feel like we do, uh, we have a lot in common in a lot of ways. Some of it we've experienced, some of it we haven't. And, um, all right, that's my story. That's how I want <laughs> You're sticking <laughs> with it. <laughs> Why don't you, um, give a, you know, give a one minute bio, uh, yeah, yeah. Cons- consisting of your like deepest and, and most important stuff. Sure. Sure. Well, thanks. And, and, you know, it's an honor to be here. Really appreciate this opportunity. And of course it's great to reconnect with you, Dan. And it, it's amazing to think how much we've both changed since, uh, that fateful day meeting one another at, uh, at that first, at your first men's yeah. group. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I live here in Sandpoint. And I am a father of two boys. I am a husband, happily married, 
And my primary work these days is as a nature-based purpose guide, where I help people who feel a deep connection to the, the spiritual calling from nature to really discover um, their place in this world, right? Why they are here, why they took birth, uh, what they have to offer this world. Um, I have a great love for um, cultivating this, this uh, connection to vision inside human beings. And that is really a culmination of all the work I've done through the years. So in addition, uh, my wife, Janine, and I run Twin Eagles Wilderness School. We're going into our 15th year of providing deep nature connection mentoring opportunities to kids and adults, which are through our year-round programs. I love facilitating the nature connection journey. And I'm going into my 10th year, which is hard to imagine, 10th year here at the Sandpoint Men's Group. Um, now a leader uh, in men's work. Um, I do one-on-one coach, men's, men's coaching. Um, love working with groups and yeah, men's work and the journey of masculine emotional, cultivating mas- masculine emotional intelligence is a huge part of, of what I do. And I'm sure there's a lot more in there, but those are some of the big ones uh, that I can think of right now. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, man. I appreciate it. Um, all right, I just want to get right into the nature connection. I want to know when you, it first got lit in you. I want to know how it feels to you. Yeah. I want to know everything. Because like I could, you could just tell me to start talking about uh, nature and the wilderness and connection there. Yeah. I could probably go for weeks on end, but I want to hear, I want to hear what comes to mind first for you. Yeah, well, well sure. So, so I'm 45. I, I grew up in the 80s. In, uh, in the Midwest, I'm from Indiana originally. And, you know, as, um, I mean, how to, how to condense it. It's a, it's a big journey with nature. But for me, Dan, it all began, well, it all began as a, as a little boy and, you know, connecting with the beauty of the natural world. I've got fond memories of, uh, uh, of actually, uh, so actually I was, I was born in California. My folks moved us out to Indiana when I was really young, like three or four, but I do have one of my earliest memories, uh, a memory of being underneath this fig tree actually in California where these snails would gather. And I would sit under that fig tree and just play with these snails and they would crawl over me. And, you know, being the wild boy that I was, sometimes I would jump up and down and smash them, <laughs> which is not the, uh, perhaps the best uh, intro to, to spiritual connection with nature. But, um, but I've always had a deep love for the natural world. And growing up in the Midwest, um, you know, I, I had my fair share of struggles. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this with the journey of emotional maturity, you know, addressing our wounds. But I had my fair share of wounds, uh, childhood trauma, bullying. Eventually, as a teen, my parents got divorced. And nature was always the place that I could go to for peace. And what did you do when you went there for peace? What did that look like? You just walking and shit or were you like, what did you, what were you doing? Were you a hunter or a fisherman? Did you just hike around? What, what was your thing? Yeah. 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 I mean, no, I didn't grow up hunting and I didn't really have mentors. Right. It was just, I mean, it was just the place I would go to the one place I could find when there was chaos in the family, when there was chaos at school or whatever. Yeah. Nature was the place I could find that I just felt good. So what did I do? Sometimes, yeah, it was just walking. Sometimes it was in the creek. I used to love to catch crayfish. Um, I had like an obsession with crayfish. I, I, I did do some fishing growing up. Um, so I had a, had a beautiful love for that. But the biggest thing, Dan, was um, the, pe- the emotional peace I felt. And deeper than that, 
um, there was, a, and was, I could not have put this into words at the time, but deep yeah. in the sense of spiritual connection and calling, like yeah. somehow I was on my path when I was in the natural world and it was, it was helping me along. Um, some you know what's, you know what's yeah. crazy, man? I think crayfish, <laughs> I think somebody could make a, a living as a crayfish therapist because I'm not shitting you. In the past month, I have talked to three different men who when they were young and there was stress in their family and at home, they would go to the nearby creek. One was in Colorado, one was in like uh, Ontario, and now you. That's like where these young, when these guys were young, that's what they went to do when shit was like heavy. Yes. Well, what's interesting about that, so I, I do work with boys and rites of passage work also with men. And the crayfish is one of my most powerful metaphors that I use because what how, crayfish have exoskeletons, right? Uh, so I, I remember as a boy catching crayfish, right? And they'd be hanging out under the rocks. And so, right, I'd pull up the rock and you'd have to go slow because if you went fast, you're going to get that dust cloud thing under the water and then you couldn't see them. But if you went slow, you would avoid that and then you could see them. Now, as a, as a little boy, we were always scared, right? The, 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 the myth was that they could take off your finger with those pinchers, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, so it started with nets and catching them that way. And then it turned into uh, using sticks and the bravest uh, act was to, to use your bare hands. Right. But what would happen, Dan, is I would occasionally find uh, like empty crayfish, like, like their shells just floating along the Creek. And I would, I didn't right. know anything about them. I was like, well, what, what is this? Right. And other times I would find these really soft ones that didn't seem to have an exoskeleton at all Delicious. under the Creek bank, right? And eventually, yeah, exactly. Eventually I put two and two together and I realized, oh, they, they shed their skeletons and yeah. when they do to grow, right? Because what's happening biologically, they, they're literally growing larger than their exoskeleton currently is. And then they have to go seek protection in this vulnerable state yeah. under the, the creek bank while the new exoskeleton that it's going to be larger grows and hardens. And what a beautiful metaphor for the transformation that we all make on this path as human beings, right? Shedding the old and entering this vulnerable state and needing to find protection as our new sense of self develops. <laughs> you just, you just, <laughs> here we go. You crushed it, man. All right. We're there. Um, hell yeah. So I also, is it true? I wonder how, what's the biggest that crayfish, what's the biggest crayfish you've ever seen? How big, well, are they like lobsters that they'll grow like forever if they have the capacity? Inland lobsters. I don't know. I mean, I've, yeah. the biggest ones I've seen are like in the Spokane river. We do programs in Eastern Washington and yeah. they get pretty big there. I mean, I've seen them like six inches long, which is yeah. pretty darn big. Um, but I don't know. I've heard stories of like the deep South, like, I don't know, Louisiana where they just get massive. Um, who knows, right? Maybe there's some giant foot-long lobster-sized crayfish out there. But. I would like to find them if, if they exist. I think crayfish are delicious. But what oh, an amazing yeah. metaphor for boyhood, huh? Right? Oh. I mean, like, it, like classically, like just like kind of like Americana, you think of like what yep. what boys did when there was places for boys. And it's amazing. I'm, we're living on a – right above a creek now with my two boys, and they're – I, so far, I, I cannot find any crayfish. I don't know if there are crayfish in this river, but yeah. that metaphor sticks, right? Yeah. Like yeah, we're down time. there. Actually, the first one we found was tadpoles, right? There's these oh yeah, right. And so we're down there, and Duke is all just curious, and yeah, you, know, you could see his little mind is getting fucking blown. 
right. like right. him learning that that was a frog, you know, it was going <laughs> to be a frog, but, um, love it. Amazing. So, all right. So there's young Tim catching crayfish, like yeah. being in nature. And you talked about like, no, like not having the words to talk about it necessarily, but you felt sure. a bigger connection. Do you remember? Cause I put myself, so you know, talk about little Dan for a second. Little Dan lived in farmland in North Dakota and mom would take him on little hikes. There was this loop we would do. We would walk down a shelter belt, which is just a line of trees, take a right hand turn down another line of trees and then walk the bank of the red river of the North for, I don't know, maybe a mile or something. And I mean, magic is the word that comes to me. Like the, the, the feelings that I had as a kid, and I guess, I, to be completely honest, the feelings I have when I poke my head out of our home right now, That's I right. think it's pretty similar. But I think yeah. magic is the word that I that describes it the simplest. Mm. For me. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah, so you know, it was a it was a, a, a big time. I mean, I, I remember growing up and and looking around at the adults around me who largely spent all their time indoors and that just like didn't equate. I, I just couldn't compute it. I was like, why is everyone, spent all the, especially the adults, right? Cause back then, right. This is like the eighties. We didn't have TV. I mean, we, we did, but it was like three channels and there was one good show on a week. Uh-huh. Aside from that, we were just a wild pack of kids out, out roaming. And so I never quite got like, why is, why are they inside so much? And then there was, you know, they, they, most of the adults, pretty much all of the adults in my life seem to have, I don't, they seem to be kind of asleep and kind of deadened to their own, yeah. you know, vitality and sense of place in this world. And, and I never quite got it. I was like, is this where it's all headed? Like, I don't feel this way as a 10 year old. I feel fully alive, man. Yeah. I'm full of energy. I want to tear it up. And where is this whole thing heading? Yeah. Right. And so when I would go into the natural world, um, that aliveness, right. That aliveness was so present. And yes, the magic, um, you know, uh, watching, uh, watching the sunset or, you know, just watching how a flock of birds, a big flock of birds would, uh, we had, we had starlings back then and, and, uh, and the big flocks would come in and they would all, the entire group would move directions seemingly all at yeah. once. Like there was, some sort of greater spirit moving through all of them, this greater intelligence. How did they all know to turn in that same direction at the exact same moment? Right. And, and that is what filled me with the sense of awe and magic uh, that you're speaking about. That's a murmuration, right? Isn't that yes. the word for it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, you got it. yeah. <clears throat> I have spent probably many hours, uh, uh, combined of watching those videos on YouTube and I've seen it's better. <laughs> It's better in real life, obviously, but uh, right, right. yeah, if anybody listening wants to know what he's talking about, look up murmuration on YouTube. Yeah, beautiful. So, so yeah, it was like, I, as I, the more time I spent in nature, the more I saw, okay, everything has its place, right? Um, whether it's a squirrel or a deer or a blade of grass or yeah, that's starling. Everything has its place and it fits just by being itself it's providing a service and helping the rest of the, of the ecological web. And so, you know, again, I don't think I had the words for this back then, but in my heart and my spirit, my soul, I was always wondering, so what is my place, right? Like, why am I here? Mm. How do, how do I fit in just by being myself? And that wound up being kind of the essential question that I've, I've made my life now. 
Dude, that's fucking profound and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> did you have, did you, I mean, as you look back at your, as your young self, do you feel like, I mean, that's really, was that like clear thought patterns you had then? Is that? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it wasn't clear thought patterns, but it was always yeah. the feeling. It was always the yeah. feeling. There, there was something more, uh, my, you know, I, I would look up at this. I remember looking up at the stars and wondering how, you know, uh, just keep, just wondering about the the mystery of life and like yeah. how how do I fit into this thing and and you know uh, my life is more than it's going to be more than sitting in a cubicle for sixty years right mm-hmm. like there's got to be some bigger calling for me and Dude, that, yeah. just to, that's amazing so I wanna I wanna hear where if and when there was like. Well, I'll just tell you two very fast stories and I want to yeah, hear yeah, your version because I'm sure you do. And I'm not, and I'm not going to hold back from any cheesy nature metaphors in this because we, I'm, just, I'm giving it full, full permission to use every nature metaphor. We're all about that, yeah. So the first actual wilderness experience I had, I was the summer after seventh grade or eighth grade. I went to the Boundary Waters Wilderness with my cousin's church group, a church group from a little town in like central North Dakota. And... So it was like a whole week. It was a week in roadless wilderness where we canoed and we portaged our packs and we, um, and I like, I, I have a lot of moments I can recall that changed my life, but I think that week almost more than anything, I also fell in love with a a girl on that. I felt like I had my two. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the two things I felt the most, like I fell in love with that, with like romance and, and that. And then I fell in love with nature in a way that mm. I think is uh, remarkable. But where I'm, I think, again, I was too young for any clear thoughts. I don't know if I even had clear thoughts as a kid. Like right, I can't, right. I can't remember clear thoughts. Right. But then after college, I started doing the wilderness therapy work. And I spent mm-hmm. that first summer, I spent probably 90 days uh, mm-hmm. out in the desert. And, you know, that was just the beginning of, of a lot, a big chunk of my life. But at that part, what you're talking about, about finding simple purpose by mm-hmm. being myself, that job, that location, that, that opportunity for me was a full, complete 100% with nothing left over dose of that. Again, with nobody explaining or without me having the, the but what the, the cheesy nature metaphor that I think I did get at that time was like, it feels like I am like in the, in the chant, like if my life were a river or like where I'm going is this river, like I am like, I, I can remember feeling it at the time. I was like, holy shit. I'm like, I don't have to do anything here. There's no struggle. I let, I'm letting go into the current and this fucker is taking me, taking me in my life. And I I gotta tell you, Tim, I got, I feel incredibly lucky because I think most of my twenties, I feel like that the fact that I jumped into the wilderness and spent so much time there, like the ways I talk about it now, I'm like, sometimes I say, I think I kind of got like four years of straight meditation without trying. Or I, or I say, you know, all of these things I could kind of describe it, but that, that idea of knowing who I was not needing or wanting to be anywhere different, having deep purpose and fulfillment in what I was bringing the world. I mean, I'm like, I'm so, I'm so in. Sounds, sounds like an initiation to me. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, yeah. The, The initiatory experience, you know, I mean, I think we all, we go through lots of initiations in life. Um, changing from one, uh, you know, perhaps this is the the shifting from one chapter to the next. 
Um, and some of those are going to be rites of passages where we're actually shifting from one life phase to the next, from, from boyhood to adolescence, mm-hmm. right? From adolescence to adulthood, from adulthood into becoming a parent and eventually becoming an elder and beyond. Um, yeah, that's played a huge role. I mean, for me, I, you know, as a boy, I just, I was just, uh, you know, we didn't travel a whole lot. Um, well, we'd go up to like Michigan and, and be on the lake and that was always powerful. Probably the most, uh, the biggest spiritual initiation in nature I had as a, as a young boy, I, I was, I think I was seven or eight at the time. And my dad took us on a classic family uh, family vacation road trip out west, right? It was my yeah. first time going out west. Now, from being from the Midwest, it is flat out there, right? We've yeah. got like corn in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. And so going out and see, are you kidding me? Seeing the Rocky Mountains for the first time, seeing um, the Badlands of South Dakota, going to the Grand Canyon, like blew my mind. <laughs> Dan, it freaking blew my Dude, mind. I, I, get, I, bet, oh, I remember. I remember. You know? Yeah. And I remember, because yeah. um, part of my work uh, that I haven't mentioned yet in this conversation is I do a lot of work with, with Native Americans. And that's been a big, turned into a big part of my calling as well. And so I remember at the, at the very beginning there, yeah, seven years old, um, driving through the Badlands, right, which is South mm-hmm. Dakota, um, probably not too far where you grew up, mm-hmm. and uh, from where you grew up. And I remember looking out and just seeing a single teepee out in the, in the badlands. And, and, you know, I didn't know anything and just asking my dad, dad, is that where the Indians live? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, um, something changed in me back then. I don't know if it was, I've always been very sensitive, very open emotionally, spiritually, but it was like something, a seed was planted, Dan, that, Mm. that never really left. And so then um, you know, going through the struggles of childhood and teenage years and teenage angst and, parents divorcing and all this craziness um, when by the time, cause I, so I really played by the rules. I was a total rule follower, total pleaser, um, you know, total Mr. Nice guy. Mm-hmm. And w- when I got to college, you know, and it was like, okay, I'm starting to taste freedom. You know, every spring break, my buddies and I would just travel out West and just have our minds blown by, you know, yeah. Hiking down the grand Canyon through the middle of the night or climbing up to the 14,000 foot peaks of Colorado or whatever it was. That's exactly what we have. A lot. We have so many, <laughs> it's what we did, but we also ate a lot of mushrooms. While we yeah. Did. Yeah. There was that side of it too. Right? Uh, there was that side of it too, which we could talk about, but um, right back before we had mentors back before we knew about emotional maturity, how do you deal with, with pain back then? Well, yeah all unconscious so you gotta you gotta find some way to check out um anyway um so you know and that's um that was a big part of it it was it was these deeper spiritual experiences in nature i didn't again didn't have that many words for it but i knew how i felt and i knew that something was happening inside me then it was it was actually midway through college i did meet a professor so i went to purdue university right after high school totally played by the rules right um, studying of all things, computer science, if you can believe it, right? Wow, like training crazy. to be a programmer in uh, 1995, you know, the internet's just like barely uh, in existence yet. And um, so, so I meet this uh, history professor. Now this is at a conservative Midwest university. And here's this history professor who's actually part Lakota Indian, uh, part Oglala Lakota, um, basically teaching a course on shamanism disguised as a history course because a, a straight up class on shamanism would not have flown at, at that time at, at that university. 
And he, he opened me up. I mean, he was my first mentor. He, he started, he introduced me to the concept of synchronicity, of how we're all related, of mitakuye oyasin, of, you know, our, our spiritual connection, the, the real spiritual connection to nature and was able to put words to it and to all these experiences I, w- I had had throughout my life, you know, uncanny coincidences at just the right time that aren't actually coincidences, right? And that really, I would say, was the beginning consciously of, okay, my path of, of self-awakening and, and doing that through the natural world. Amazing. Yeah, crazy. So where did that take you? Where did you? Yeah, well, that was that was that degree, that programming degree. Did you go that way? Yeah. So like by the time I was a junior, I I realized, okay, this computer thing is really bogus. Like there's no way I'm going to sit in front of a screen for 60 years. Like this is not happening. But but I was I was had some fear, right? Because I was scared because what does this mean for me? Well, I didn't want to go back and change majors. I mean, I, I realized like at that point, okay, I'm, it's going to be something with nature. I didn't know what, but so I was like, what do I go study forestry or wildlife management? Yeah. I'm like, man, I don't want to restart this and spend three, four more years of college. Like I'm just going to get the degree, call it good. And then I'm fucking going off on my own. So I did, I, I good finished college. Um, synchronicity started coming together and I met a girl, I met a girl, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Met a girl who, who worked on the Navajo Indian reservation in Northeast Arizona. And you know, the day I graduated, dude, I packed everything I had into like my 1991 Ford Ranger, including nice. my, most of which was just my bike. And, uh, and I hit the road. I think I drove like 40 hours straight. It was ridiculous. Another initiation. I almost killed myself because I drove through, you know, the night and uh, fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, Crazy, you know, craziness, but managed to make my way out to the Navajo Indian reservation. And I just, I plopped myself there. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew one lady who was a teacher, this this girl who was a teacher there. And I'm like, you know, uh, I want to meet the Indians. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew there was some wisdom there. And I knew at that point, right, Dan, like, Man, after the, the, tra- the childhood trauma, the bullying, the parents divorcing, I, my self-esteem was shit. My self-confidence, uh, my self-image was piss poor. Huh. Uh, I, I had, I, and I just felt like, you know what? This whole modern world thing has failed me. Like, yeah. it's failed my family. It's failed me. This is bullshit. There is some wisdom that the original people of this, of this world have. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was there. And I was like, I'm going to find it, damn it. And I didn't know what this was not like me going to a school or a workshop, right? This is me like well, plopping in the Navajo Indian Reservation. But, but that's that, <clears throat> that plop is so important. I, like, oh, it's how can, like, that's, you know what I was just thinking as you were talking about that? Like, for young people who are called to be outdoors, right? I feel like there's these boxed offerings, right? You could like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. pick a sport and follow that sport. Or that you works. could like become a forester or study like those things, management. It's just like, yeah. you know, yeah. I get it, but what a fucking tame or sort of box oh, yeah. offering of yeah. what, like that plop, that sort of, you know, just two sheets to the wind plopping into something new. Yeah. How do we share with our young men and yeah. even our parents, the parents of these young men that, uh, that that is okay. And I mean, like, cause you can't necessarily prescribe a plop, right. but the plop's got to happen. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. And from, I mean, yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's one of our, the key questions of our time. 
Um, you know, how do we encourage healthy risk taking? That's that's now a big part of the work I do with with uh, that we we do it at the wilderness school here. Yeah, um, it's an essential part of life, and we live in this re- culture that is become obsessed with safety. Hey, I get it, but we're leaning way too heavy as a culture into the side of safety, and 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 we need to find that inner resource that can take a risk. And sometimes, you know, the truth is, Dan, I, I think we, this is something we both recognize is that. Sometimes life's got to get kind of bad. I mean, it's almost like the addictive yeah. cycle. We got to hit a low point before we're really ready to say, all right, I'm going to make a big fucking change. I don't know what I'm doing. This is a big risk, but I know my current experience of life is not working and I've got to do something. And that's my big encouragement is like, folks, don't fucking wait to our listeners, right? Don't wait. Yeah. Like, how, how bad yeah. does it have to get? You know, yeah. it doesn't actually have to get that bad. You can make that choice at any time, but it takes that courage. You know, it takes in a, it, a, it, it does, but I'm so curious. I mean, it feels like what we're doing is, is setting you up. I mean, we're serving you up on a platter here, this idea of purpose. And I, I just, I do, I go back to, I think because of my history with young men and, and, it's not just young men, it's men of all ages, but there's that like part of us that just can't settle down unless we feel like we're have meaning and purpose and all of that stuff. And, and you know, it is, it's for me, the first places I ever went or the, like my go-to has always been nature. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, just yeah. run. Just tell us. To just feed us your wisdom on <laughs> well, nature and purpose and how it all fits together. Because yeah, and and you know, I mean, I appreciate that, and that's a compliment. But I, I hey, I'm just a guy like anybody else. You know, I've sure as hell. I, I think I've gone through more than my fair share of struggling. They say struggling and pain uh, and suffering leads to wisdom. Hopefully, that's true. My, that's my my prayer. That's my hope for myself. I, I you know. But what I mean, yeah, man, for me at that point, so I, I wound up living on the Navajo Indian Reservation for a year and a half and somehow found a place to live, which is like impossible because there's no place for to rent. Somehow got a job working at the utility company, the electric sure. company as a programmer, which was a nuts because there's uh, at the time there was this, and they probably still have it, the Navajo preference policy, which just means we reserve the right to give our jobs for our own people. Right. And there were like 10 other guys who applied for that job. And I'm like, there's no way I'm getting this. They, they gave it to me. And in the end I asked them, why'd you give it to me? Like I, I'm a white guy, you know? And they're like, well, because you spoke your heart when I was there, I, I they asked me like, why are you here, Tim? Like, like you're a white guy. Like what? Like yeah. nobody does this, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I just opened my heart and I was just honest. I was like, you know, I've always felt a calling to learn from the first people of this continent and I followed synchronicity. I don't know how I ended up here, but I did and I'm, I'm following it. And, and wow. that's the bigger reason why I'm here. And, and that was enough to touch their hearts. And they said, okay. And so, you know, at that point, Dan, I was looking for the old ways. I was looking for, you know, tell me about the wild edible plants. Tell me about survival. Tell me about the traditional spiritual ceremonies. Got it. And it, it was mostly unavailable to me. Um, most of the Navajos, you know, understand this is true for most native people, um, didn't trust me understandably so. And we can look back at patterns of ancestral trauma and guilt and every, and ancestral pain and everything else. And it's completely understandable. And so um, but I had a small group of people who, who, who opened up to me and, um, yeah, you know, after long story short, after like a year and a half, wound up falling in love with another girl up in Oregon and, um, through another series of synchronicities and, and, uh, 
you know, I, I told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm leaving. And, you know, um, I, I had found some great things, um, but I didn't really find outwardly. Uh, if you'd asked me at that point, I, I, I hadn't found all, you know, all the deep spiritual connection. I mean, it was alive and well, but I, I was looking for mentors. I was looking for someone to take me in under their wing and yeah. it just didn't happen. And so I, you know, I, I, I told them, okay, I'm going. And, and they said, okay, well, um, you know, uh, what was it? It was at the very end, they, they held this surprise meeting for me. And it turns out the entire company, here's a hundred people had gathered to do this send off ceremony for me. That was a surprise. And so they called me into this big meeting room and I was completely shocked because for the whole year and a half, the deeper connections just hadn't happened in the way that I wanted them to. This is right. I'm 22, right? What, yeah. what do I know at yeah. the time? Um, and I'm shocked. I'm like, why? I didn't think these people even cared. I was just like, really? Like, and there was a giant sheet cake, farewell, Tim. And, and they lined up. I had long hair at the time. The, the, some of the ladies combed my hair out and tied it in this traditional Navajo tie. The elder came forward. They presented these moccasins to me and they presented these spiritual gifts and, you know, medicine pouches and all this. And I'm just like being blown away. I'm like, what is happening? And one of the women who I had connected with, you know, opened up and she helped kind of translate, right? Because we're dealing with some cultural gaps here. Yeah. And, uh, and so she's like, I can see you're confused. I'm like, I don't know what is going on. And she's like, okay, you have come here. You've opened your heart to us and you've made your way into our hearts. We haven't shared this outwardly in a way that you recognize because of the old ancestral traumatic patterns but you don't, don't think for a second that you haven't made, managed your way into our hearts. And this is our way of recognizing this. And beyond that, she says, check this out. She says, this is actually our way of indirectly asking you to stay. We want, we want you, you are part of who we are and we want you to stay. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> <laughs> now, now the, problem, cause the problem was I'm in love, like bad. Right. In love. Right. Now my wife, literally, who's living up in Ashland, Oregon, and I'm like, you got to be fucking shitting me. They're, they're opening up like they're, oh, they're spiritually opening up to me. I'm like, this is what I wanted all along. Now I'm getting it. And, but my heart is calling me yeah. know, a thousand miles away. Yeah. And so what did I learn? You know, I mean, I had a man come up to me, Dan. Okay. I had an older Navajo guy, probably in his 50s, 60s. He came up to me, you know, in this one by one honoring that they did for me. And he looks me in the eye, he shakes my hand. He says, Tim, you have changed my perception on the white race. He said, I did not think there was such a thing as a good white person until I met you. And I'm like, shit, man, I didn't mean to. Like, uh, (laughs) what, you know? And and it's it's blowing my mind, you know? And what did I do? I showed up with my heart and I had enough courage to express myself to the best of my ability. I mean, I made mistakes. It was messy. But, you know, I showed up and it it made a difference. Yeah. And um, and so what did I learn? You know, I learned that – the biggest, you know, all the, cause at the time, right at 22, I, I'd, I'd kind of, I was projecting all of the spirit, my spiritual power onto these people as a culture and understandably so. But what I learned was that, you know, my power is, is right here in my heart. And if I can claim that, that's the biggest mentor that there is. And so it was like, I had to learn that lesson from yeah. the Navajos because so I did, I wound up moving up to Oregon, totally fell crazy head over heels, eventually got married to Janine Tidwell, my wife now. And 
you know, within a couple years later, we had found out about Tom Brown's Tracker School, New Jersey, and realized, oh my God, there's actually schools you can go to learn all these old ways that outwardly, this was the stuff I was looking for. They'll teach you how to make rub sticks together and make fire by friction. They'll teach you how to make, you know, debris shelters and sleep in them. You know, they're doing all this, all this cool stuff, plus spiritual practices, doing sweat lodges and the vision quest ceremony and everything else. And so all that opened up for me. But I had to learn that lesson first, that the real power is, is within my own heart. And that's, you know, that was the big one from the Navajo. Amazing. And so that's where you really just <clears throat> dove into the, into the wilderness living and the wilderness stuff. Had, I yeah. thought that it was Tom Brown. I, I didn't remember for sure if it was or not, if you had that. But yeah, that's amazing because I was a 17, 18 year old kid working for the national wildlife refuge uh, system and we sold tom brown's books in our little books oh, right 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 and i read every damn thing like five oh yeah times. oh yeah yeah um gosh man well i i wish we had the, like a three-hour time know, right? slide. There, there's like, a lot more to this yeah, story <laughs> there's so much there but, but i want to get right into the meat i want to go like yeah. just like dive all the way in i mean if i could i would mandate that um I guess that's mm -hmm. kind of dictatorial, but fuck it. Yeah, I would mandate that people like had uh, a, a, a got the the experience of spending a good fair amount of time yeah. in nature. Yeah. Uh, so, what is it, or where when you work with men now, or I mean, of all ages, where yeah. is the what's the I don't know what's like the juiciest, most passionate thing that that you are working with right now? How's it? Oh working? my gosh. Well, the juiciest, most passionate thing I'm working with right now is um, helping men, and I, I actually work with women as well, um, but helping uh, adults cultivate this nature-based um, spiritual connection to their purpose, to their vision, to why they're here. Mm -hmm. No question. Like that's, that's like the, the angels sing, you know. It's just like mm -hmm. that is my calling. That is where my, my juice is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, after, after 15, you know, so long story, very, very short, I got to the tracker school, joined up with those guys. There was a school in Vermont that we, that I starting a community based expression of all these wilderness skills and survival skills and got to meet more native teachers who were open to sharing their spiritual traditions and lived this whole life for five years. Then we, you know, we started in on, moved out to Idaho, started our wilderness school and after 15 years of running the wilderness school here, Twin Eagles, um, I, I, what, would, what had once, Dan, been deeply spiritual fulfilling, spiritually fulfilling, no longer had that same deep sense of spiritual fulfillment. That was about five years ago. And that threw me into kind of, you know, at about 40, right, which is pretty classic. That kind of threw me into my own midlife crisis or what used to be called. I don't well, know. and just to clarify, so that school, Tim, you taught yeah. just the bait. Like, what did you teach? Or what do you teach at Twin Eagles? What yeah, so Twin Eagles, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's deep nature connection mentoring. That's what we call it. So right. naturalist skills, wildlife tracking, edible medicinal plants, wilderness survival, bird language. Um, but it's in a way that is about mentoring, about real relationships, about me sh building a relationship with individuals over time. I mean, I have students, Dan, that I've worked with literally for 15 years. Right. I have students that are, that are 20 years old that are actually staff for our school that I've literally worked with, mentored since they were five. And so it's about showing up day by day. And what comes through that, and this is what happened early on indirectly, is people develop 
as you know, a deep connection to their own selves. I mean, they have to face them, their emotions. They have to face their, their calling in life. They, they cultivate these things just indirectly. Even if you're not like even literally, even if you're not trying, this stuff gets developed. And so this is what always touched me the most was like, man, healing people's hearts, you know, like helping them come to peace with traumatic experiences from their youth. That's what like really started lighting me on fire after about 10 years and also helping them cultivate. This is what I'm here to do. You know, this is who I am. I want to, whatever it is, you know, I want to be a men's group facilitator. I want to be a nature connection facilitator, you know, whatever. Um, that's what really lit me on fire. So after, but I didn't quite recognize it. So after like 15 years of running twin Eagles, um, I lost the spiritual fulfillment through that as an outward vehicle of my life's work. And it it scared the shit out of me because I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I've dedicated my life to this. I've started this organization and now it's not given me this, the, the spiritual fulfillment hit, which is everything to me. Like if I'm not getting that, something is horribly wrong. So what do I do? I go back to my mentors. I go back to the wilderness. I go back to 96 hour vision quests you know, seeking, praying, begging. Wait, I got, I got to I think this is really <laughs> important. I want to pause you. So when you don't get that hit of spiritual connection yep, or yep. fulfillment it means something is wrong. I don't know. Could you describe how that feels when it's there and not there? Just so yeah, the yeah, yeah, that's great. A good example. Good question. And yeah, feel free to slow me down. Cause I, I tend to get going pretty, pretty fast sometimes on these yeah. topics. I just think um, that's, that's like, I just, if anybody's no, listening, doesn't sort of, I just would worry that somebody would listen and be like, I don't know what that would even feel like. Right, right. Totally. So for me, when, when I am experiencing that deep sense of spiritual fulfillment, um, it's a, there's a quickening. Uh, I'm actually, I get it as a little bit of an anxiousness. Um, I, I feel like I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm working my edge. It doesn't feel easy. It doesn't feel like solidly in my comfort zone. It feels like I'm being asked to grow, to show up, um, if you're familiar with men's work, it's like, this is when a man's working you and you know, it's working and you're, you're riding the edge of your, of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's good for you. You know, it's not necessarily easy. Some people, um, a more intense description. Some people describe, I had a mentor once who described this as terrifying and irresistible all at the same time. Awesome. Beautiful. Right. Right. Awesome. And so yeah. like, I am fully alive. That's the biggest thing. You know, it, it's, it's, it's about full aliveness yeah. and this feeling like, you know, if I were to die today, I know that I will, I have lived well. I, I, I could, I could face my creator. I don't know if there is a creator or not. I could face the universe. I could face myself and say, I fucking did it. I yeah. gave this thing called life my best goddamn shot. And, and I'm, I'm good with that. Right. And, and that change, that can change. And so that's what happened. I, I, I stopped for years. I mean, I was like close to 20 years. I had that deep fulfillment and I, I remember it. I, I had, we just finished up a big season of summer camp. I had 300 kids come through. I had moms coming to me in tears, thanking me, you know, oh my God, you've changed my son's life. You've changed my daughter's life. This is so great. The staff are beside themselves in gratitude. And I felt like nothing how I felt like I just washed the dishes or something. I'm just like this. And, and previously those exact same words has had elicited that, that tremendous, tremendous fulfillment. Right. Uh-huh. And so I was scared. I was like, what is going on? Well, long story short, 
I'm evolving. <laughs> Lo and behold, um, you know, I'm, I'm being called to something else. And that's when I, I realized, okay. And I sought my mentors and I, I enacted several vision quests, um, which I'm a huge proponent of. Um, when for anyone, you know, this is the old ceremony of, I mean, just briefly, this is the old ceremony of taking four days. Uh, traditionally, it would have been a four day. You can actually do them quicker, but uh, traditionally, it would have been four days fasting alone in the wilderness with one intention in your heart. Mm. Why am I here? Mm. Practicing, practicing the sacred silence, facing the emotions that come up, facing uh, being present in your senses, right? Being present in the body, quieting that mind and calling out to soul, calling out to the mystery, calling out to creator, however you want to look at that. Why am I here? And it's an old old, old ceremony that still works. You know, it still works. I've, I've done actually dozens of these, if you can believe that. <laughs> I can believe that. You know, yeah. what's funny, you said at about 40, you had a shift. So for the past three years, my biggest dream in life is to do a 40 day solo mm. um, and come out of the woods on the 40th, on my oh, 40th, dude. 40th birthday. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. I'm not going to fast for 40 days, but uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, all right. And so what did you get? What what did you find? Yeah. So, you know, up to that point, Dan, I would have told you if you asked me about my work, I would have said, you know, my work in this world is about helping people connect with nature. And I do it in this way where healing and, uh, you know, visionary development or purpose discovery kind of comes out on the side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but outwardly, you know, you look at my website or even just my own description of my own work, it's mostly about nature connection mm-hmm. and, and mentoring. And, and on the other side of that, what came through mostly through my vision quest at this point, and that's what I, part of what I learned was that I'm, I got to a point where, um, you know, my, my greatest mentors were at, was actually the wilderness and, and maybe we might say soul itself. And so what came through was that my calling was, to be much more explicit about supporting people on the healing path, emotionally, spiritually, and be much more explicit about cultivating purpose and vision in their lives. And that, yes, I'm still, you know, I'm not dropping anything. I'm just expanding. I'm still going to use nature to do this, but rather than uh, teaching nature with a side of healing and, and purpose, now I'm help facilitating the healing journey and the purpose discovery journey kind of with the side of nature, if, if you will. Yeah. And what is it about the, the nature side dish that, uh, that you think makes it uh, more, I don't, I don't know. Is it just people work with you in, in finding their purpose that are also somewhat drawn to nature or is it, is it your special mm-hmm. sauce? Is it your special weapon or like, what's the, what is yeah. the relationship between, I mean, it's a really like, I'll just ask the flat question. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Why and how does nature help one find your purpose? Beautiful. Beautiful. So, um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm probably, I actually don't like the languaging I just used. I haven't said it in that way. So I, I don't see it as a side of nature. I mean, I see it as essential. I, I think the shift for me was just that, okay, now I'm going to be outwardly expressive that my primary intention is to help people yeah. on the healing journey and on cultivating a sense of purpose and vision. So how does nature help? Well, I mean, let's back up for me. Uh, my philosophy is, um, so we've all heard of the um, attachment theory, right? You're certainly familiar with this. Um, yeah. Basically yeah. speaking that as babies, we have a, a basic need 
to um, attach to our parents and especially our mother. And if that does not get met in a healthy way, it will have negative impacts the rest of our lives that we will deal with consciously or unconsciously, right? Basics of attachment theory. And there's different attachment styles and all that. I'm not going to get into all that right now. So what I, what I'm using this for is kind of a jump off point that my belief is that there is a nature attachment theory and even a soul attachment theory. In other words, nature, look, (laughs) right. Like it's not like soccer or, (laughs) or, or some extracurricular activity or learning a violin. We're talking about the planet that we live on, that we've evolved on for hundreds of thousands of years. Yes. A species needs to have a direct connection to the planet they live on. You know, we've only been doing this, this crazy experiment called the modern world for what, a few hundred years, depending on how you want to define it. What happens to human beings when we divorce ourselves physically and spiritually and emotionally, mentally from the natural world? Wow. Well, we have tons of problems, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out you just get really fucked up. (laughs) Internally and externally, you know, our landscapes get fucked and our internal landscapes get fucked. And surprise, surprise, you reconnect with your, the planet you live on, the, where your species evolved, and it's good for the heart. It's good for the mind. It's good for the body. It's good for the spirit. Surprise, surprise. Imagine that. You know, this is common sense, you know. You know this, is, this is clarifying something for me or giving me new language to think about it. You know, I think, like, in all my time spent in mountain towns and, and around outdoorsy people, like, yeah. I think when I was younger, I had to try to find a way to explain it because I, like, I wasn't, like, yeah. a climber, right? I wasn't, I didn't find a niche specifically. Right. Right. But what I liked was to be way the hell away from any roads for as long as possible squatting by a fire drinking out of a river like walking around (laughs) that's it like I just that's what I like I just wanted to be out there and so this is you're really actually helping me put uh it is I think I was always the junkie for that deep spiritual nature connection and it wasn't it wasn't through something else. It wasn't in, in, you know, climbing or bagging peaks or anything specific. Or, and I love to hunt, you know, that's part of it too. But I think at the end of the day, I just want to be out there. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so, you know, these days there is lots of science. Uh, people can check out the, if you want to look into the science, check out the children and nature network. This is Richard Louvre, the author of last child in the woods, saving our kids from nature deficit disorder. They've done shit tons of research backing up scientifically Literally, how it's how nature is good connection is good for us holistically, right? Mm-hmm. Physically, for our bodies, from our mental health, for our emotional well being, for our psychosocial development, for our spiritual development. I mean, it is it is backed up. Uh, there's no question. There's earthing and there's forest bathing and there's you know the advent now of, of forest schools and forest kindergartens. I mean, it's mm-hmm. we're recognizing as a culture the value of this. You know, what is much less recognized, though, is the spiritual connection that, that it, that it um, cultivates. And so, you know, for this, I, I think it's good to, to speak about soul, you know. And, and for me, when I say the word soul, what I mean is um, our, our very essence as human beings. That's probably the simplest definition of soul, right? That, that individually. Individually. Uh, yes, but it's, yeah. and it's also where we find our deepest 
connection as an interrelated species, our deeper, deepest interrelatedness with all things, with other people, with you, with the listener, with the ant crawling on the floor, with the, the clouds outside, the whole, the whole thing. And so um, similar to the fact that, you know, there's this idea of nature attachment theory. I also believe in a soul attachment theory that, um, that we, you know, and, and so let me, again, a little back up here, some definitions. So, you know, if, if we look at the consciousness as a three worlds model, this is one of the things I like to talk about. So we've got the ego, which is just the, who I'm referring to as myself, or what, when I say the word I, it's who I'm referring to. It's just average waking everyday consciousness. There's spirit, which you could imagine as like, uh, if we have three circles, the ego is in the center. Uh, spirit is the circle above ego, and it's referring to that place classically of, of the meditation, where meditation brings us uh, all classic enlightenment. One is all, all is one. Yeah. And then we have soul, and soul would be the circle beneath ego. Soul is where we discover our place in this world. It's mm. discover why we were born. It's where we have, can discover our greatest gifts. And just, again, like our early conversation, the part of the conversation, where we can discover just by being myself what my greatest gifts are, what my place is in this world, how I fit. And so classically, right, when we look at men's work, I would say men's work is largely – I'm stereotyping here and I'm recognizing it, but largely it's, it's working on the ego. It's working on emotional maturity, how to, how to be a more emotionally intelligent individual. It can open up to these other areas, to spirit and soul, but most of the work is focused on, 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 on cultivating that emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. Um, as a culture, thankfully, that's starting to really take on, thanks to the work of Everyman and, you know, MKP and all, the, all this great work. Um, I mean, even therapy, um, and there's lots of problems with therapy, but, you know, there's a good side to it as well. And, and it, but again, it's, it's all focused on, on helping us become more emotionally mature individuals, better able to give and receive love. Beautiful work, right? But not the whole picture, right? Because we enter into meditation. And of course, over the last 50 years, all the Eastern traditions that have come in and how popular meditation and yoga have become, beautiful work helps us detach from our waking consciousness and realize I am greater than this character called Tim or this character yeah. called Dan. There's something beyond that and I can connect with that. And, you know, you look in the old Buddhist traditions and there's amazing work to be done on this front. But nonetheless, right, so after 50 years, 100 years of psychotherapy and, 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 and deep men's work, and uh, I guess it's not that old, but, uh, and, and the meditation, we still have so many problems in our world. So my take is that the key missing piece that's probably been the most missing and, and really my life's work now to bring this back is that connection to soul. Because ultimately, if we're staying in the ego or connecting with this kind of all is one, you know, enlightenment spirit place, we're, we're not tapping into our place in this world, right? Another way to look at this is the, is the phrase, the work of life is to grow up, uh, is to wake up, grow up, and show up, right? Mm -hmm. So waking up to enlightenment, to realizing one is all, all is one. Grow up, that's the title of Owen Marcus's book, right? Cultivate right. emotional maturity, and then yeah. show up. 
show up, discover my gifts and bring them to the world. Make it known in physical reality. Make a difference for the environment. Make a difference for the young people. Make a difference for men. Make a difference for women, right? Like that's where it all comes together. So that's a long way of answering your question, but just to come back full circle, how does nature support that? The nature connection supports all of that, but particularly this connection to soul. And, and what we find is that I look at purpose as not so much a spiritual endeavor, but an ecological endeavor, right? Like, how do I, just as the unique person I am, Tim Corcoran, just by being myself, right, claiming my sensitivity, claiming my, uh, my love for logic, claiming my love for nature, my love for emotional process, my love for spiritual process, how do... I fit in uniquely ecologically in this world. Dude, you just blew my mind. <laughs> no, I really, I really mean that. I really love that. So yeah. purpose as a function of ecological place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I really believe that's true. And, and uh, if now that's, I, I, I want to acknowledge, I, I'm taking that from the work of Bill Plotkin. I don't know if you're familiar with Bill. Yeah, Plotkin. Totally. He's an author, wrote Soulcraft and Nature and the Human Soul. I love his work. And he's, he's actually been a mentor in recent years. Um, and and, and that, that's, that's where I got that idea from, that, that purpose is primarily an ecological thing, not a spiritual thing. It's just about how do I fit in naturally in this bigger wow. world. And so, and so, so define, eco, define ecology in that sense. I think that I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, a little more fleshing that out. So, yeah, what is ecology? E- ecology is the web of life. It's how everything works together. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a natural system, you take a forest, mm-hmm. and we discover that on the one hand, you might look at it superficially and say, oh, well, it's got trees, it's got animals, it's got birds, it's got plants, there's dirt, there's a creek going through it. Mm-hmm. And a superficial judgment might be those are all individual, unrelated elements of that system yeah but you look deeper and you discover that they're completely related right um oh the 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 trees are uh are actually all connected via their roots and and the roots may not touch themselves but there's my network of mycelium of mushroom you know roots that are actually transferring uh nutrients and minerals so if you have a tree that's struggling uh, a young tree that's struggling to grow, the older trees, they've proved this, right, scientifically, are actually sending nutrients and minerals to that younger one. That's fucking um, amazing. You know, the, if, if you follow the, the, the you know, the, the flow of energy, you see that all those things are connected. So you know, how do you have, good, this is so, so, so good and important. So how does a modern human man today like find his purpose when that purpose I would guess sometimes still may involve technology. Like I'm just curious is how big does that frame of ecology go? Because I'm really, I'm really loving so, it. Yeah, this is great. So, so Dan, so we are nature. Okay. Yeah. We're human beings. We evolved from this planet. We didn't come from Mars. <laughs> and even if we did, we'd still be nature because the universe is nature. The sun is as na- as much nature as planet earth. I mean, um, I don't want to get into crazy you know, ideas of where did human beings come from? But my point is that, excuse me, as, as human beings, we are nature. Mm-hmm. So the inner processes, you know, that we go through psychologically, emotionally, spiritually are all natural processes. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, if we're, if we're in a, in a 
in a, in a room with no windows, you know, everything here in front of me, this microphone, this laptop, this mouse, this table, it all comes from the earth. Yeah. You know, all, I, mean, I, I get it. Like we've, we've, we've made a, a, a break from it, but it's still here. Right. And so how does that work? Well, um, and, and this, and there, there is an element of mystery to this. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and so I think what I need to say is, this conversation, if, for the listeners, this asks you to step outside of the box of, of, of mainstream consciousness and awareness. And if, if you're the kind of person who is, you know, tied in with, you know, uh, materialistic consciousness and consumerism and capitalism, you're not going to get much from this conversation. I just need to say that. If you're willing to step out of that and say, hey, there's a bigger mystery that we maybe can't quite even fully put our finger on but there's something here. And if you felt that or wondered, you know, that's my invitation to the listeners is to open your mind, right? This is what, this is what all of my mentors have always done for me. Mm-hmm. And so when we do that, we discover that, uh, well, a simple best practice is spending time in the natural world, quieting the mind, opening up our senses. And essentially, I mean, this is as simple as it gets, um, Feeling, finding that place inside of ourselves where there is a burning desire to know why did I take birth? You know, if there's one of my strengths as a human being, as a man, I think it's this desire to know who the fuck am I and why am I here? I mean, Dan, I've always had this. I don't know why. I think some people do have this stronger than others. It's, it's, it's a burning goddamn bonfire inside of my yeah. heart. So yeah. what, are some of the, what are some of the types of purpose that you've helped and mentored other men to find? I'm, I'm just curious. Can yeah. you name yeah. a couple? In terms of like, yeah, well, and, and well, so here's, 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 here's underneath my question is yes. this, and I'm just thinking of like, I'm imagining myself pretty bought into the world as is. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm like imagining this fear about, okay, Tim, I'll lend you my uh, creative conscious mind for a second here and I'll follow you here. But my fear is that um, I'll, does it just lead to me wanting, like needing to like become a hippie and live in the woods? <laughs> You know, oh, God. That, I mean, that's a real fear. And I even have it because li- listen, man, I'm happy yeah. when I kind of live like a hippie and live in the woods, but I'm also like, you know, want to be pretty relevant too. So do you, you no, know what I mean? I, I got you. I got yeah. you. No, I mean, I've worked with, I don't know. Um, I mean, dozens, maybe, maybe a hundred people since I've uh, started my new business purpose mountain and uh, people have come to all kinds of realization. Now, what you're talking about, just so we're clear, is the outward expression of purpose, what I might call a delivery system. Got which, it. Which is probably the most superficial take on purpose. Oh. And I don't want to totally geek out here, but there's w- lots of other ways to define purpose, like uh, my message in the world, like right. um, my vision for the world, like right. uh, my, my mission in this world. So there's some that are more kind of action oriented doing aspects of purpose. And there's other aspects that are very much a being qualities like, yeah, yeah, like my essence, like who am I just, how do I change people when I just walk in the room without saying a word? Right. But nonetheless, I I get it. I mean, people, this is what, what the modern world does. I mean, with our, our, our big external focus, we want to know. Hmm. And, And I do too. I mean, I get it. Um, what is, what is my outward expression? Yeah. So, uh, I, I was just working with a guy, uh, 
month ago and, and actually he, he came surprise, surprise. <laughs> he came to realize his purpose is, is working with fathers and sons. Right. And so he's training as a men's coach and he's uh, do, taking that whole journey and also doing rite of passage work. Um, I, I worked with a therapist who um, realized that, that their, their purpose was to uh, not just to work in the, uh, in, in the field of therapy, but to, to start doing more group processes and, and cultivate a space for people to develop a, a more spiritual relationship to life. Um, I worked with a guy who, oh gosh, let's see, um, realized that his purpose, um, he, he realized that you know his purpose was just about who he's being in each moment. And he didn't feel a calling to change anything outwardly. This guy was a ran a construction business. He didn't feel a calling to change outwardly. He just needed to know who am I in my heart of hearts and how do I show up moment by moment? And that was deeply transformational for him. In some ways he kind of got the, the golden nugget, right? Because you could actually argue some people would that if your focus on purpose is solely about the external expression that you're actually missing something. Dude, that's so huge because that is what people talk about when they talk oh, yeah. about purpose. That's like right. where people go with it. Right. And my, my take, just to be clear, I believe it's all important. Yeah. I think there are outer expressions. Like for me, in my example, being a computer programmer was not a good match for me. Okay. That is not a healthy expression of my purpose. Being a wilderness guide was, being a nature-based purpose guide is, being a men's group facilitator is, being a men's coach is. Right. So some do match up, some don't. But what's the underlying thread beneath all of that, right, Dan? It's, again, let's, let's step out of the box of superficial, of looking at things superficially and say, you know, what is my essence as a, as a human being? Who am I in my heart of hearts? And what do I have to bring in this moment to you, to the world, to the person in front of me? Um, this is a much deeper question. And when people connect with this, it changes people's lives. I mean, it's, it's where, when you connect with this, this is where your real courage comes from. You realize that there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important. And that, you know, I, I can love myself. I can have my own back. I can make a difference in this world. You know, a lot of people come to this. The other, that's the other thing is they, they look around. I mean, good God, right, right? That study from the UN just came out about species extinction. I don't know if you saw that. Um, uh -huh horribly depressing study saying that, you know, we're on, on track for, um, I don't know, 30% of global species uh, on track to be extinct in the next uh, 30 years or something like that. I don't remember the exact details. Horribly depressing. But there's power in that because it wakes people up and they say, you know, we, we know this obviously at this point, but <laughs> the world's on fire. Something's not working. Yeah. And, and I had so many friends come to me and say, Tim, how do I handle this? Like when I see these horrible, crazy news and all the, the madness in the world, how do I show up? And my answer is always the same. It's not like there's one action we've all got to take. Yeah. The answer is discover who you are. What are your unique gifts? What is the greatest expression that you can have of yourself in this world? And if you'd need a, a week, a month, a year, five years to discover that, God damn it, invest in yourself. You know? <laughs> okay. Whether it's time or, or the vision quest or finding a mentor or whatever, just wandering in the woods, but invest in yourself and discover who the fuck you are and so that you can give what's really yours to the world. So how can they find you so you can help them do that? 
Me? Yeah. Oh, that's that's what I love doing. My God, are we already at the end of our hour? Here? <laughs> We're past. Okay. We're past and I got to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if they're interested in working with me, um, you know, I, I would love that. And I, my website, my, my new business is Purpose Mountain, aptly named. And uh, the website is real easy, just www.purposemountain.com. You can check, I've got a big like free purpose, like kind of intro to purpose discovery kit on there that you can download for free. It's got some great exercises, it helps you get out in nature, it helps you ask some of these deeper questions and cultivate this sense of, uh, of yearning for purpose. And it gives you a great sense of, uh, of, of the work. And then, yeah, from there, you know, you, there's, there's instructions on how to, how to take some next steps. So badass, man. Thank you. You've just, you're on fire. I can feel it. Well, like thanks, man. on fire. And, uh, Anybody love it. listening who wants a taste of that fire, go get it. Sweet, man. Well, thank you, Dan. This has been a real honor. Great reconnecting with you. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Tim. I'll follow up with you, man. Thank you for listening, everybody. You can look up Tim Corcoran online. You can find us at everyman.com. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed it. Also, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Do all the things that normal people do when they're interested in something. And we would love to see you. And we invite you cordially, warmly to come join us in our groups, on our retreats, on our expeditions. We are here for you. And share this podcast as widely as you can. Thank you, everybody.